0: Helping you make the most of your money. It's time for Talk Money. Now, here's your host, Jim Shoemaker.
1: Whether you're a baby boomer or a millennial, it doesn't seem to matter. A common concern is always money. I'm Jim Shoemaker. Welcome to Talk Money. Well, this morning, I am... Just pleased to say that I have two excellent guests here in the studio: Steve Anderson, certified financial planner, and Scott Jordan, certified financial planner. And we're talking about the market post-election. I mean, whether we like it or not, whether you're a Republican, a Democrat, or whether you're a moderate or a fiscally conservative or a liberal, it doesn't seem to matter. The market has actually done extremely well. Since the election, in fact, if you look at it, it's up 10 percent just in the month of November alone. And you know, would everybody? I could have argued with that. People could have said, "Oh, it's not going to happen." I had more calls coming in, probably during about two, three weeks before the election, saying, "I got it." You know, I think I ought to get out. That it's you know, it's going to die. The market's going to go away. You know, everything's going to happen. This and that. And it's been the absolute opposite. Well. I have two guys that are going to help us get our heads around, really, what does the market look like post-election, and they're going to give us some guidelines and some incentives incentives to move forward and thinking about being very intentional about what we're talking about, but also, I'm going to give them a chance to talk about some misconceptions. I mean, it's so easy to get caught up in what the media is saying, and you get this idea of biases that we've talked about before on the program but what about misconceptions? And I'll tell you what they're more about in a few minutes. But just but first of all, let me welcome my guest. Steve, welcome to the program.
2: Thanks. Good to be here.
1: And Scott, welcome to the program. Great to be here, Jim. You guys are a very frequent guest, and you do a great job. And I just want to start, you know, according to the Small Business Administration, I mean, this is just this, the Office of Advocacy came out with a study that with a small business, less than 500 employees, they're responsible for about 44% of the U.S. economic activity. Do you think about it, there's a lot of small businesses that are going through all kinds of trials and tribulations. So here's my question, Steve, and I'll lead it in with you. What do you think the economic impact and this slowing jobs growth, I mean, the fact is we're still at a 6.7% unemployment rate and with manufacturing also down last month, how do you see this affecting the small business owner?
2: Yeah, I think as we think about that question, one of the things that that if you're like me, you've got you know your four hundred and one k invested in the market, and and we've got to separate in in some way. We've got to separate the companies that we have our money invested in, and and what we're and I'm air quoting here, calling small businesses because you know those are huge companies. They're not small businesses that that are that are attracting our dollars in the investment market. So in terms of small businesses, I think. Most people probably are, I'm going to guess, a little bit like me. I'm not necessarily a small business like a restaurant owner or a shop owner. So I don't see every day directly the impact this is having, but I hear from clients, I hear from friends i see stores closing and so it really appears to me that um there's there's people living in two separate worlds here and if you're a small business owner it it, it probably is a very trying time the evidence is all there that that it's that it's a struggle and that it's probably going to continue well into next year until we've hopefully got a vaccine that's that's readily available oh that's
1: the vaccine's going to be critical scott your take on the vaccine
3: Uh, I think that, like you said, that is critical to getting things back going. Uh, You know, Steve mentioned that, yeah, we may not be invested in these companies, but there is a trickle-down effect through all that. There's a lot, you know, small businesses create the majority of jobs in this country, and those are the people who buy the goods and services that some of these larger companies manufacture. So I think it's critical that we get a vaccine rolled out and we get that out to everybody, and everybody's confident to go out and do the things they normally go out and do again.
1: Question for you. Are you optimistic that the vaccine is going to be the turnaround?
3: I am very optimistic about that. I I think that, uh, you know, I, I think it's, you know, we're seeing the numbers spike. We're seeing we're seeing the effects of that. We're seeing the talk of going back to lockdowns. But I'm optimistic that when we start getting this vaccine rolled out, people will be more confident to get back to doing the things we do.
1: All right, guys, I, and I appreciate what your take. If you just tuned in, my guest, Steve Anderson, Scott Jordan, we're kind of talking about stocks and what's the long-term market outlook, what's the short-term market outlook, what do you need to be doing as an investor. It's year in. It's kind of like, you know, 2020, believe it or not, believe it or not, we're going to put 2020 20 in a package soon. <laughs> and I sure not won't. soon enough <laughs> not soon enough but the reality is we're moving through that and I guess it's an idea of thinking you know we've got to kind of put it in perspective all of us and I think Steve you mentioned it that a lot of people are kind of just moving through and letting it kind of guide us or push us through it you know and I understand that but let me ask you this with the pandemic likely to worsen I mean, I think it will. I think Christmas is going to see just like we saw in Thanksgiving, Christmas we're going to see it you know push us up again in the coming months. I wonder, do you think that's going to have a negative economic trend or effect yeah. because of that?
2: Yeah, I think the the easiest way to think about this is the longer term and nearer term. And the longer we get out, I think most people would agree things moderate, things get better. And whatever normal was, we kind of move back towards that. But in the next 12 months, next six months, even the next 18 months, it's it's just so hard to predict because any little thing, you know, one of these vaccines may, may prove um, ineffective or something, and all of a sudden we're back to the drawing board. So uh, the longer we get out, I think the better I feel and the more confidence I have that the U.S. economy will get back on solid solid ground and really be rolling along again
1: uh, you know, in time.
2: When we look at it, twenty, you know, twenty sixteen,
1: at the time where President Trump took over, uh, you know, the job rate was at four point seven percent. Now we're at six point seven. It's not that big of a difference considering what we've been through. The US dollar is is weakening, and that's kind of got some people I mean I listen to people all the time, oh my goodness, our dollar is weakening. Scott, what do you think from from that mindset when people say, I'm concerned about the dollar, from an investor standpoint, what do you say?
3: Well, I don't think that's all bad. You know, we always believe in a well-diversified portfolio, so we we believe investing all over the globe, and when you think about a weakening dollar, that can be really good for some of the emerging economies, uh, some of the the smaller economies that are really kind of growing into that middle class, and, and there's a lot that can be... Invested in in those countries, a lot of great companies out there in those, and those will do actually better during a weakening weakening dollar. And when you think about it from the from the standpoint of exports, that can make our exports a little more attractive. So it's not all a bad thing. It sounds bad when you say it, but you know, having a a little bit weaker dollar is not necessarily a bad thing as long as it doesn't get too weakened.
2: Yeah, and and as you think as you think about a US, being a U.S. investor and you're investing overseas it's a little different than just buying shares of a US company because overseas you deal with not only the company and how well it does or doesn't do you deal with currency yeah. and so it is an important thing um but it it isn't one of those things that i, I wouldn't let it drive the ship here you know mm. you, yeah. you want you want to be aware that that, that that's a that that's a factor but you know, it's one of those things like you just kind you of roll it, with. it
1: doesn't drive the ship. You know, I didn't know yeah. you were driving ships now, but that's <laughs> right. good. <I> mean, <laughs> it's well said. Well yeah. said. Okay, where did you get one? <laughs> yeah. Here's the thought, though, because, I mean, when you say that and I hear that, what about emerging markets? You said global. Yeah. Is it going to have an impact in emerging markets?
3: I think it could be positive for emerging markets. I think you could see emerging market uh, investments do well over the near term with the weakening dollar.
1: Okay, that's that's good to know. So that's a thought process from that standpoint. All right, guys, believe it or not, believe it or not, I read this. Uh, now, you know, I can't, I don't know if this is fake news or not. Believe it or not, <laughs> I heard that we're going to have a stimulus package. Oh, wow. Yeah, I know. About $900 billion, which is a pretty good size. Didn't yes. hit the trillion
3: dollars. Yeah, you know, it doesn't even sound big anymore. You, yeah. know, you remember back in 08 when the $750 billion was like, we can't spend we that. We can't even money. imagine. Now, now yeah. we're only getting $900 billion. It's- <laughs> that's
1: exactly right. Only going to do $900 But let me ask you this. It seems to me that the market has already priced in the stimulus pack- yeah. package. Do you all agree with that? I mean, Steve, do you feel that's... What's happening? We've got it priced in, and it's pushing us
2: already. Yeah, it does. It certainly does feel that way. Uh, we. It's funny because every time we talk about the market, we talk about it like it's a living, breathing human. Um, but I, I think, I think it's not. <laughs> yeah, I mean, surprise. In in all reality, it really does appear that the market is kind of under the assumption that that something's going to get done, uh, and so with that in mind, I would say. Uh, at this point, I sure hope something gets done because if it doesn't, there there probably could be some volatility around that. But I, I would agree. I think I think it's priced in more or less, and and um, that's what the expe- expectation. Well, is. it's
1: going to support small businesses that mm-hmm. we know right. that's going to be the impact, and individuals receiving the unemployment benefits that'll keep them in their world, which desperately that's needed. And some of the state and local governments. I mean, that's that's a big, yeah, issue, big issue. that And education
3: issue. and health care. You know, there's some some struggles out there. We gotta gotta get the kids back in school, and and our health care system has been stressed out, and now is getting put through another test. So, I think the stimulus package is is necessary. I think Congress realizes that there's always going to be some back and forth and some give and take in that. But I think I, I'm hopeful that we'll see that soon.
1: All right, guys, If again, if you just tuned in, Scott Jordan and Steve Anderson are my guests today. We're talking about short-term and long-term market, you know, thought just your thoughts or what's going on from the long-term perspective. And I guess I kind of want to kind of get us into one little perspective here when you think about this. I know that if I walked out on the streets of Memphis and Shelby County and West Tennessee and Eastern Arkansas today and North Mississippi, and I walked down the street and I said, okay, what do you think about the market? I know there's going to be that consensus, I believe more than just a few, because I think, you know, I'm, I'm a little contrarian here, so I have to think about that. But the reality is the market rally has produced, a lot of people would say, overbought conditions. It's too much, too fast, too much. And I think that's crude. You know, the s and P's up 10 percent just in November. And so that's what a lot of people, global equities, can you believe this, had its best month, their best month in 25 years. So let me ask you this, guys. What do you see? What do you think,
2: Steve? Yeah, I I think uh, when we just talked about the stimulus package being potentially priced in, and um, I I think another thing that's priced in is the expectation of earnings rebounding uh, next year as – things continue to to get back to normal. So th- there certainly does seem to have this this aura, I guess, a, a, about the market at the moment that that a lot of the positive things are priced in. And so it's it's probably fair to say that we've gotten to a level that we might kind of have to hang out at this level for a little bit and let things continue to improve before we see, Real growth that's supported with earnings and, and the things you want to see going forward. So I, that's probably a fair statement.
3: Okay. All right, Scott. No, I, I think I would totally agree with that. Uh, you know, we had there. Are, I would say pockets of the market though have have really kind of mm-hmm. become overbought, but we've started to see the value stocks pick back up again, which is typically something you see coming out of a a downturn or recessionary type environment. So I think it, it kind of depends on what part of the market you're talking about. You know, on 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 average, yes, the market. Seems, uh, I think I, I like the way Steve put it, it's, it's almost price for perfection, right? I mean, I don't see it as being expensive at this point particularly, but I do think it is price for everything to keep going well and keep trending up.
1: All right. The manufacturing numbers were up, but they not are. as high as everybody expected. Unemployment down, but not where everybody would like. for. T- so there is improvement. And, of course, you go back to the third quarter GDP number, up 30%. Yeah. I mean, that was yeah. a big, big tick. Do you expect the GDP number to be the same or higher this fourth quarter?
2: Yeah, I I would say if we go out a year from now, uh, it it seems to me that the most likely outcome will be markets are at all-time highs. GDP looks great hopefully north of two and a half percent. And that would be a a good thing considering the spending that we're doing and likely to be doing. Um, So, yeah, I I think it looks I think things look fine. And in the slowing GD or I'm sorry, the slowing unemployment numbers and and the growth of uh, that or that that rate that we're talking about, um, it's also reasonable that things would not continue to improve so quickly because as you get closer and closer and closer to where you're supposed to get it should probably slow down well so, that's a true probably that's fair. a
1: great statement the fact is we've seen it bounce back quickly Right. And, and I mean, extremely, you know, fast. But as you say, as the closer we get back to normal, mm-hmm. it's not going to be as fast.
3: Yeah, I think we're we're improving at a decreasing rate, and I, I think the low hanging fruit has already been achieved, and and the work we have to do going forward is going to be a little more tougher to get that growth. But you know, most economists are are predicting somewhere around three percent GDP growth next year, which is really good.
1: Wow. Guys, you know, I mean, this has been fast and furious. We've covered a lot of stuff, you know, in just a very short period of time and tremendous information. But I have one last question. And this is the fact that you kind of kind of said something about it, Steve. But everybody wants to hear, I think, the two of you to give your opinion. 2021, 2021, you kind of give us a little bit of the insight into that. Equity's up, equity's down. Equity's real volatile. What's What do you see?
2: I'd say volatile in the next six months, but by we'll see all-time highs in the S and P and the Dow by the end of 2021. Can I write this down? I got wow. that. I got it. Okay.
3: Well, I think I think mean, you I know, think he stole my answer. I, I, I would agree with that. I think near term there's some risk and and some potential volatility, but I, I see stocks being higher next year.
1: So what you're saying to me now, guys? Volatility, yes. No, no question. Right. And are you saying correction? Are you saying that we could have a correction in the next six months? I, I, mean- I
2: think, and, and if you're defining correction as about a 10% pullback, I think completely fair. That's a normal intra year move. We saw thirty five yeah. percent this year. Right. Right. So, so yeah, ten percent fair uh at some point during the year, but but by the end of the year, yeah, looks really good.
3: I think to, I think a correction could definitely happen. Now again, there's still a lot of uncertainty out there, especially on the political landscape. So I think anything's on the table, but again, I think twenty twenty one is shaping out to be a good year for the market. So overall we're in good shape. Okay,
1: I want this recorded, and so I think I, I, I think yeah. it will be. I think it's <laughs> I mean, is going down. I'm going to play this. At, you know exactly twelve months from now, Steve and Scott said. Well, Sarah. I'll
3: have a good reason why it didn't work out if <laughs> it didn't. So don't. That's <laughs> right.
1: It'll be something we couldn't have predicted, <laughs> right? Obviously. Exactly. So okay, you, you just predict like everybody else predicts, right? <laughs> if you're right, you're heroes. Hey.
4: If you're wrong. I, want to,
1: I want
3: to be an economist. You know, you'd be yeah. wrong half the time and still be employed. That's still be
1: employed, yeah. Or a weather forecaster. Right. That's right. what I like. Right. You don't have to ever be right. right. Guys, that's great. I appreciate it. Steve, I want to turn the page, both of you, Scott. You, I want to turn the page because here's the problem that a lot of people talk about. I mean, you guys have just given us great insight into understanding kind of the mindset of, of really investing and understanding that. But I think it's important that we dive into a little bit of this idea behind some of the common misconceptions. I mean, it's really – and I know our listeners. Our listeners tell me all the time, hey, what about this? What about that? And that's what we're talking about, these misconceptions about investing in the market. And after we've talked about this, what we've just concluded – The market's going to be up. We'll have some movement. Volatility is real. You know, we're probably possibly a correction of 10%. We're all cautiously optimistic. I think that would be a nice, easy way to put it. But the reality is our investor lives in a world that doesn't deal with us as we are, as the professionals deal with. We're into it every day, and we're not paying attention to what the media may be saying. But it creates misconception. So, Steve, I'm going to ask you the leading question. Help me understand the definition of a misconception, an investor misconception.
2: Yeah, that's it's you know, I've been I've been on here a couple of times when we've talked about behavioral finance and the big premise around behavioral finance is this idea that we 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 have inherently lazy minds you know we want to have a mental shortcut we see this okay speak for yourself yeah, uh, you know I mean? uh, yeah.
1: You know, lazy i never gets
0: up so. yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah always down right yeah. so so we see x and and we immediately want to do y right so so we want to make life simple like that and so our minds come up with these tricks and and when we see certain things, we think certain things. And it's, you know, my, my mom told me growing up, don't read a book by its cover. you know, Don't judge a book by its cover. And so uh, it's kind of like that in the investment world too. And so a misconception is just one of those things we've heard that when we hear it, we go, oh yeah, that, that, that seems like it probably makes sense. And so that becomes a decision-making criteria when we go to decide on what to do from an investment standpoint. And so what we're going to talk about is is it a good criteria, or is it is it something that can maybe lead you astray? That's what a misconception is. All
1: right, I think what I've heard, and I, well, that is that is well put, very well, very well articulated. The reality is, we pick up a saying or or, or a or concept, as you said, and all of a sudden it becomes law. You know, I mean, yeah. you know, and that's reality. It becomes we start going making all of our decisions based on. Wherever we may have gotten that concept, and what you're saying, some concepts are great, and some are just purely misconceptions. First and foremost, and I know, what, I know the one that I want to say because we hear it all the time. I know you've got some others to talk about. Buy high, or excuse me, buy low. <laughs> <laughs> buy high, <laughs> sell low. Hey, that's, that's, really a that's a misconception, <laughs> too. <laughs> <laughs> buy low, sell high.
2: Yeah, that that is the one. that, And it sounds so simple right i mean it it's it's, yeah. it's four words buy low sell high and and the, the problem is and this is a little bit of a quippy remark to that but the problem is what's what's high so you know here we are pontificating about what's going to happen next year most of our most of our clients me i'm investing for things that are out there 5 10 years in the future and compared to then that's really that's really what we're talking about buy low sell high compared to then, right? And so uh, we, I do this this um, program for my clients every month where I do like a, a, uh, like a Zoom meeting. We get on there and I go through um, some slides from, that JP Morgan Chase provides called the um, Guide to the Markets. And are, there's one slide in there that I hit pretty much every month that's so great. It shows over rolling periods of time, so like over five-year rolling periods of time, if you have your money in stocks, the S&P 500, you have less than a 3% chance of actually having less money than you started with over rolling five-year periods of time, going all the way back to 1950. And if you stretch that to 10 years, you have less than a 1% chance. And I can tell you when that 1% is. It was if you happened to take all of your money, all of your life savings, and invest it right before the tech bubble, and then you took it all out, all of it, right after the financial crisis. And I've got clients that lived through both of those, but they didn't put all the money in or take it all out. So the point is, Compared to 10 years from now, that's buy low, so high. And so the, the saying that I want to replace buy low, so high with is buy now and hold it longer. It's time horizon. It's stretching the amount of time that you're holding on to your assets. Let them grow and compound. That's much better advice than buy low, so high, I think. Buy now. And hold it longer. Hold it longer. Hold it. That's five words. That's five words. Or buy now, hold longer. Hold yeah. longer. yeah, there, there you go. go there we go.
1: You know, but that's a good point. I mean, I think you
3: explained that, Scott. I mean, I think he goes through that. Do you have a thought? I mean, we talk about it all the time keep a long term perspective, and that's easy to say and that's hard to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, there's, you know, everybody wants to be able to time the market. I, I hear that a lot. I don't want to buy in now. The market's at an all time high. Well, Funny thing is the market's always hitting all-time highs. The media makes a big deal out of that. But if we're investing and our money's growing, we hope we're hitting all-time highs quite frequently. So I think, you know, it, again, it's it's another one of these uh, sayings that's easy to say, keep a long-term perspective. But if you're going to be an investor, that is what you have to do to be successful. All right, successful. I've got a
1: question for you guys, and I'm going to put you on the spot. And this is this is I want you to think with me for a second. We're talking about this, and we're very upbeat, and it's very, you know, it's exciting. (laughs) The market is just up in the month of November 10%. Right.
3: So it's easy. Feels good now. It feels good.
1: Let's go out to 07 and 08. Let's just go back to March. Go back to March. (laughs) (laughs) We don't even have to go back to 07 or 08. We don't have to go back. (laughs) How would you say what you're saying? And I, hmm. okay, you understand what I'm saying, Steve. Help me with this. What do you say to the client who, in three months, or four months, or six months, or two days, we don't know. Yeah, and the market's down ten percent.
2: Yeah, that that is a very very difficult thing. Um, I've got a client that I was literally on the phone with yesterday. In his account, he, he invested he invested a rollover 401k in October, late October. And his account's up 13%. And, and he, we were literally talking about this. He's like, oh, we should take the money out. Like, hey, we've got to extend the amount of time we're talking about. But I tell you what, in March, the one thing that made March easier for me, and I don't know, if Scott, if you thought this, but March, at least we all knew this isn't forever. The financial crisis felt like a legitimate breakdown in, in the way things work. And so I think that was more challenging. But I also think that some of these things are earned. This is earned experience that you kind of have to go through this before you can really know what you will and won't do. And maybe the best tool I can think of is just looking at a chart that goes back as long as you can find and just realize that we've been here before and as bad as it is. (laughs) <laughs> it's always worked out. And that yeah. sounds so it sounds so trite, but it really is the best thing that i can think. When you're in the heat of that moment in you know the bottom of march.
1: And that's tough, guys. Earned it experience. Tough. I like that, Steve. That's a great point. Earned experience. And so we're talking about the reality of what is it when we deal with misconceptions as an investor. And we talked about the
2: one buy low, sell high. And, Steve, you came back with one better, and it is. Yeah, the market, and Scott actually said, <laughs> the market is too expensive. Yeah. It's too high, yeah. you know. Um, just be careful how we deal with it. That, yeah, yeah. And so we get on, we, I mean, here we were pontificating again about, uh, you know, what's going to happen next year. You get, on, you get on these Bloomberg and CNBC, and you hear these guys talking about things. And um, it's the, the challenge with this one is that we, we want to do that mental shortcut thing. We want. Oh, it's it's never been this high before. Well, I've never been this old before either. You know, I mean, it's it's not. That's not even a good argument. (laughs) It's not a good argument. So we'll be back in just a second
1: with Steve Anderson and Scott Jordan because we're going to continue to talk about misconceptions, your investor misconceptions. There's two more, and I can't tell you they're going to literally. It'll be like buy high, sell low, or buy low, sell high. Whatever it is. Bottom line is, you're going to find that you probably have some problems with these misconceptions as an investor. Stay with us. This, and I'm Jim Shoemaker, this is Talk Money.
0: If you have questions you'd like to have answered on the program, email them to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. We'll be right back with Talk Money after this. Jim Shoemaker, Scott Jordan, Tommy Armstrong, and Steve Anderson are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Security and Financial Services, Inc., Securities dealer, member FNIRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. Welcome
1: back. I'm talking with Steve Anderson and Scott Jordan. We're talking about misconceptions that the investor has, that you as an investor, we, we deal with it. We always have these misconceptions. Whether we like it or not, they're real. And the first one we talked about was buy low, sell high. And we'd literally said that, you know, you got to understand what that does to your emotions and, and Steve talked about time horizons and not to get too much caught up in what's happening in the media right now. Keep it in a long term focus. But now there is another misconception, Steve, that I'm sure our listening audience here understands and knows, and I'll just say it what it is. The market, and we kinda of talked about this earlier, in quotes, is too expensive. It's just too high.
2: Yeah, and and that's an easy one, but you know, to to hear all over the place, you know, because every time you flip on, like we were talking about, you flip on Bloomberg or CNBC or whatever the, whatever the news network is, and and they want to cite. Different things like you'll hear price to earnings ratio and price to book ratio and the disconnect between the economy and the market and all that. Um, but again, this goes back to this mental shortcut thing. It's it's we want to we want to look for that ratio or that number that can give us the quick answer as to where things are. And the reality is. It's really a little better if you apply some critical thinking. So, for instance, with the the price to earnings ratio or the P.E. ratio is the one that people tend to like to want to talk about a lot. And when you look at that, what that is, is it's the price of something over the earnings of something. So the price of a company stock over the earnings of the company stock. Now, think about this. Put on your critical thinking hat for a second. Just think, here we are nine and a half months into covid what are the earnings of the average company, the not, not the, the high-flying tech companies that have recovered real quickly, but the average company? They're still struggling. We're here talking about when that recovery is going to really come to fruition. So if you look at a ratio that has price on top and earnings on the bottom, and you think about investors typically, not always, but typically try to look out in the future, you've got what the expectation is of earnings in the future, but the earnings right now are really low. So if you look at that ratio, it's going to be out of whack. So again, I'm not saying that, that you should not pay attention to value. I and mean, that's not the point. The point is we've got to be careful before we let this misconception that the market's too expensive throw us for a loop. We and, can't let that guide our decisions.
1: That's a very good. So second misconception, the market is too expensive. Well said. And I think, Steve, you're literally saying before you jump on that misconception, Maybe you need to listen, not to always the media, but a good advisor, somebody who can explain to you, especially about what you're doing. And of course, in our scenario, whether we're buying an individual stock for a client or we're buying a, you know, recommending a mutual fund manager, we're allowing them to put that perspective in their ideas and they're not letting their misconceptions guide them. Mm-hmm. I think that's, that's the thought I want to leave with people.
2: Last misconception. Yeah, the last one is, is, uh, is a pretty easy one to, to tackle fairly quickly. But um, a lot of times people get really hung up on fees. There are, there are uh, a few companies that have basically made their reputation around just being the cheapest thing out there. And what's, what's important to remember is, uh, again, another kind of glib response. If you want to pay less in taxes, I'll give you your strategy. Don't go to work. For 365 days, don't go to work. A little tongue-in-cheek. Right, right. I mean, mean, that's a pretty good way to put it, though. So there's how you pay less in taxes. So, you know, the reality is our clients and and most people, um, the goal that they're shooting for is not fee reduction. The goal is I want to put my kids to college or I want to retire in 15 years or I want to have the right cash flow from Social Security and my retirement accounts. I want to put all that together so that I can meet my goals. What we've got to make sure we do is we keep the you know the right thing as the main thing. And fee reduction can be part of the strategy, but it, it shouldn't be the strategy. And that's really where this that's really where this misconception uh, can get blown out of proportion, is 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 the fees become the strategy instead of a part of the strategy.
1: So putting it all together, and I really like the way you've talked about this, misconceptions that investors may have. And the first one, of course, and what you said was that they become kind of their directive way of making a decision. You let that conception become all of a sudden, you know, the way you're going to go through your process of what you're investing in. You used a term, and I liked it, earned experience. If we don't get anything out of this segment of the show, that, to me— speaks volumes, and if you don't have that earned experience, you really can let these misconceptions really guide you when they shouldn't. One last thought before we go to the next thing, which, we, by the way, stay with us because we got Tommy Armstrong coming up, and he's going to give us some great guidelines about literally year-end tax strategies. You don't want to miss it, but i got one more question for Steve. You and Scott both. Time horizons, guys. You mentioned it, Steve, but let me just ask you this. Both of you, how important is it for a person to know time horizon?
3: I think it's critical. You know, if you're going to be investing in the market, I always look at this at money you're going to need way down the road. I like a 10-year time horizon for putting money in the market. Some people will, will be okay with a shorter. But this is, this is money you're going to need way down the road. And if you can really internalize that and grasp that, I don't need that money today, it makes it a little easier to ride through that volatility that you have to go through in the market.
1: All right, guys, that, that's important. That makes sense. You guys have done a great job. I want to introduce the listening audience to Tommy Armstrong. Tommy, we've got to talk about some tax strategies and how to, this is important for us to lean into. So tax strategies, when we talk about the Tax Cut and Jobs Act, TCIA, I know they've got some planning opportunities under this act, and they're, they're still in place. And I know as far as what's been done, let me ask you this. I want to – I mean, that's a, that was a good – tax reform bill.
4: Yes. Good morning, Jim.
1: All right. Good morning, Tommy. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, the, the, I think the key to it is, let me ask you this. Okay. With a new president, with all of this COVID expense, the $900 billion the guys talked about earlier, do you have an opinion about whether or not you think that maybe Congress can go in and repeal the Tax Cut and Jobs Act in 2021 or 2022, or should we just say this is? I know it. I know it sunsets in 2026.
4: Your opinion as a tax pre- preparer, and you do this a lot. So, what do you think? Well, I think we can expect 2021 to be pretty much status quo because of <clears throat> the divided government and gridlock that should <clears throat> that should be in place based on what we know today. Okay. Uh, the commentators that follow this uh, follow politics more closely than I do are saying that because of the relationship of Speaker McC- of uh, Majority Leader McConnell and, and President-elect Biden, that they expect some compromises to come along the way with legislation that may be passed for COVID relief.
1: So what you're saying is um you do this for me; I'll do this for you. Maybe they'll come up with something better. So, okay. So we need to just plan then that, from 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 your short term perspective, when I'm going to say, twenty four, thirty six months. Reality is, we need to just plan around tax cuts and jobs acts, TCIA, for those years.
4: Well, and 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 that that's the segue into into the the segment of the show. What do we need to do to get ready? And I think my biggest recommendation is that we. Do the planning to finish up 2020, get it in the rearview mirror as quickly as possible so that if changes occur, whether they're small or whether they're big, we got 2020 in the rearview and we can react to what's coming down the pike for 21 or 22.
1: That's a great, great point. Let me remind everybody Shoemaker Financial, these guys, you're in financial. We do not provide specific tax or legal advice, and this information should not be considered as such. You should always, always consult your tax or legal advisor, your CPA attorney, regarding your specific tax and legal situation. Okay, I got that off. I got, I'm checking that off the deal. I'm there you done. go. Thank okay, you I'll read you. that one more time. Okay. <laughs> All right. But I, I've got a question. Paycheck
4: checkup. I've heard about it. Tell me what it is, Tom. Okay, well the paycheck checkup is a nice little program that the IRS rolled out last year uh, where a taxpayer can go in and and make a fairly accurate calculation of where they stand with their income and their earnings and their withholdings to see if there's any shortfall that they may be needing to look at for 2020. And if there is a balance due, and if you, if you, if it looks like you owe more than a thousand dollars, and you feel like the calculation is accurate at the IRS website, they don't they don't keep the information. It's just a calculator. And if it comes up showing an amount you may owe, then you can always make an estimated payment on January fifteenth, twenty twenty one to avoid any small interest and, and penalties that may come up from being underpaid.
1: And you could go to that calculator, at
4: irs.gov? irs.gov. irs.gov. Okay. Paycheck checkup. Paycheck checkup.
1: That sounds like somebody's trying to help. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's, that's an oxymoron when you say the government. Ah, well, not, I, I'm not going to yeah, go there. You know, I'm, I'm from the
4: government. I'm here to help.
1: You know, let, let's let, let's give Ronald Reagan his due here. Oh, that's, <laughs> so, that's right. Uh, exactly. All right. Tommy, I'm, I'm going to lean in a little bit. Okay. What strategies should we be considering right now? we we still got some time left in 2020.
4: What we should do, we be looking uh, at? We, we have some specific year-end items we talk about every year. If you've got a retirement plan at work, a 401K, or if you're contributing privately to an IRA, we want you to max out those tax-deferred opportunities that you have. Under the law, they're still deductible. Let's take advantage of shaving a few dollars off the, the tax bill while well, you can still fund that. So max out your max out your tax-deferred accounts. And then we've still got time. All of these things can be done in 2020. They can't be done in 21. Okay, that's why we try to emphasize them here at the end of the year.
1: Okay, so bottom line is on this tax-deferred accounts, we're talking about 401Ks, your IRA all that. You
4: don't wait till the thirtieth. The four the four hundred one k has to be funded by twelve thirty one. You do have until April to get your IRA contribution. Yeah, but in. you
1: can't. Don't put it off, guys, because sometimes you know. But uh, just but logistics again, can be. but done.
4: again, looking at twenty, you know, I want to, I want to get twenty twenty behind me as quickly as I can. <laughs> can you tell okay? he's a tax preparer? <laughs> And he tells the CPA. You know, you think I get it, I get it. Go ahead. No, Tommy. no, twenty 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 twenty's had some little bumps in the road that, you know, if we could just get it behind <laughs> us, Amen. uh, that would be pretty cool. Amen. Uh but but again, looking for looking at looking at twenty, I want to max out my, my tax deferred accounts. I can plan on doing my IRA in twenty in twenty one before I file my return. Uh I I want to wrap up my charitable giving uh either directly to you know, directly out of the cash account to to a to a charity or church, and then uh, if if you're eligible for RMDs, even though RMDs were suspended in 20, you could still use your RMD to make a qualified charitable distribution, and if that is your charitable inclination and the way you give, that can still be done, but it needs to be done well before. December thirty first. Okay,
1: you talking about at that point a lot of people refer to that qualified charitable distribution as a QCD. Yeah, QCD. Okay, yeah. so QCD and people we've talked about that on the before show before, but right. that's really taking your RMD, even though you don't have to get it this exactly. year. Exactly. Using it and you don't pay any taxes on it, and you you know no. straight to the charity.
4: No, it stays off the tax. It stays off the top of the tax return, which is. What we're trying to do is avoid any income that we can. And, and yet, if you are charitably inclined, I wanted to make the, the point that even though the RMD was suspended, you could still make your qualified charitable distribution. That's a great, great point. Okay. What about
1: tax loss harvesting? Oh,
4: uh, Tax loss harvesting is, is is I'm a big fan of it all throughout the year of, of keeping, of, of having your advisor or you keep an eye on your portfolio, looking at winners, looking at losers, looking at uh, – Managers that that may need to be may have done such a good job. We need to cut some of it off the top, and if and the tax loss harvesting is a way to to avoid uh, paying is managing your capital gains. Capital gains management is 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 the another you know, word for tax loss harvesting, and it helps you it helps you avoid negative tax consequences of having to make changes in your portfolio if that if that's something you need it to do it makes
1: great sense and I know for you Scott that's a when we're dealing with clients that that's always an issue and I mean Tommy helps us put that together but what's your thoughts from a client's perspective of tax loss harvesting
3: Well I think you know and especially as we come to the end of the year if if there are opportunities and if if you know what that basically means is you may have a a security or or a, a stock or a mutual fund in your portfolio that has a a loss a capital loss for tax purposes uh, basically when you harvest that you can go ahead and sell that and capture that loss and put that money in a different investment. So not necessarily pulling the money out of market, but go ahead and sell on it, taking that loss and that way you can offset other capital gains that, that you may incur during the year. So we, we always look for opportunities throughout the year to do that, especially as we come to year end.
1: I know our clients appreciate that because yep. they know it's got to be done. They just don't know what steps sometimes to do that. Right. And it's just simply walking them through that process. A lot of people think of that as being, you know, comprehensive planning. It's really not. It's just making people aware, helping people understand it is something to do. It's this year in.
4: It's the thing we do at year end, Tommy. It's, it's a key part of the portfolio management process. And, again, you want the portfolio to drive the taxes, not vice versa. Okay, and whereas the charitable, the qualified charitable contribution applied to your qualified accounts, your tax-deferred accounts, the the tax-loss harvesting is done if you have a taxable account where you're paying paying uh, taxes along the way of your earnings and your capital gains, and that's what we want to manage, including the ability to. Uh, take a winner and and use it as a uh, appreciated s- security to a charity.
1: Okay, you said something I think was strong. Qualify, Don't let the portfolio, excuse me. Don't let the taxes drive the portfolio. Let the portfolio drive the taxes.
4: Absolutely, the taxes are just a a consequence, as Steve said, of making money. We want to make money, pay the minimum tax under the law as we're required. But uh, we always want to compare the portfolio to age, stage, and cash flow and then deal with the taxes as, as a consequence.
1: Okay, that's well said. I clearly understand that. Here's a question. I know you always talk about this, Tommy. You always talk about considering multi-year tax planning. I mean, that's that's what I appreciate from your practice, what you do. So help us with that. What do you mean by multi-year tax planning?
4: Well, the biggest Specter that we have is that the under the current law, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act will uh, sunset starting in 2026, which means we basically go back to 2017 laws where we had higher tax rates. So there is an opportunity 21 through 25 to take advantage of what would be all things all things equal all things equal, 2021 20, through 25 are going to look the same, and then 2026 is going to look like 2017. So the opportunities to take advantage of lower rates, 21 through 25, is uh, a good way to to set up what those years should look like and then plan for maybe higher rates and and engage some of your more tax-favored vehicles to be in play in 26. Well,
1: that's so powerful. Yeah, that's great. Just just thinking through that and making that. And let me make sure everybody that's listening, now, you know, we're not Shoemaker Financial. These three guys are, are not, well, Tommy is a tax preparer, but he does that totally separate in his own private time. But we're not, we do not provide specific tax and legal advice. And this information should not be considered as such. We want to make sure everybody understands that. Now, we're talking in general terms. But the reality is always, we're telling everybody listening, always consult your tax and legal advisor, your CPA or your attorney regarding your specific, that's what we're saying, specific tax and legal situation. That's important for us. Tommy, you mentioned it and I and I, we flew by it. But I want to go back just for a second because so often this is the time of the year that an appreciated property such as stock or maybe real estate or something, is given, or mutual funds, are given to a charity. Tell me what's the consequences, who should be doing it, what should they be looking for. I want
4: to make sure everybody gets it. you got about a minute. Okay, quick quick checklist. In a taxable account, if you've got a mutual fund or a stock that you've made a good gain in and you, you want to give that away, the... The, the tax the the tax law lets that stock be give you have to give it directly to the charity from your account. It moves over before it's sold. The charity would sell it, not you and that keeps it totally off your tax return. There's no capital gain on your tax return. And if you itemize through Schedule A, you get a deduction for the full value of the property that was moved. Fantastic tax provision. Hoping for gridlock. Make sure it doesn't change.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's well said. Scott, what are you saying to us at the end here? Bottom line is you're optimistic, but you're cautiously optimistic I'm for op- 2021. So tell I'm, me what I'm else. I'm
3: optimistic. Uh, I'm just optimistic. I'm not even going to say cautiously. I'm just optimistic right now. And, uh, I like you know, guy. I, I want to kind of tag on to what Tommy was talking about, too. I think the key thing here is tax planning. Most people think about taxes on April the 14th, when the, right before the tax returns due. Uh, the thing to do is to start planning ahead and think about some of these strategies that you can do to to help reduce your tax burden.
1: All right. That's good stuff. I think, Steve, uh, you know, you you literally helped us with misconceptions. But the reality is, at the end of the day, which misconception would you say people be careful with? What's the most important?
2: one? That would be the one that we had the most trouble getting out. It would be the the buy low, sell high one. And we, and, we and didn't. We <laughs> didn't. <laughs> one of us did. One of one us. And, and hey, so
1: buy low, sell high. I got yeah.
2: it. And anytime, anytime you hear that, I would just, I would just challenge you to to rephrase it as buy now. And hold it longer, and 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 that one, that one. Hold thing.
1: longer. That's Don't, right. Drop it.
2: Hold longer. <laughs> there you go.
1: I like that. You know, that's so important, though. So it's a misconception. It freezes people. We hope we've given you some great insight to people listening that these are some misconceptions can really make a problem. Tommy, you got summary time. What would you say for summary with taxes and twenty twenty?
4: Okay. Getting you getting your year in wrapped up. Do the paycheck checkup. If you owe something, go ahead and make a payment on January fifteenth. Maximize your tax deferral opportunities. Look at your tax deferred tax favored account. See what you need to do uh, going forward into the uh, into the next years. Look for look for tax loss harvesting opportunities. Give it away if you get if it's gone up and you want to give it away. That's a good tax thing. And going into the end of the year, reach out to your your financial advisors, your CPA, your attorney, obviously your financial advisor, and get on their books early in 21 so that we can get the wrap on 20 and move on with our...
1: Does that sound like a guy that's got a schedule that he's got to meet? That's great, Tommy. Great thoughts. Guys, you did a great job today. A lot of energy in today's program. We're talking about misconceptions, talking about 2021 and tax preparation, and 2021 and the investment world. You've been listening to KWAM, the Mighty 990, FM 107.9, and AM 990. My guests have been, of course, Steve Anderson, Scott Jordan, and Tommy Armstrong, all with Shoemaker Financial. All these guys are professionals. If you have questions for Steve, Scott, or Tommy, you can call them at 901 757-5757. We have a PDF that I want you to know that it's about 2021 tax planning and it's available on the Shoemaker Financial Facebook page. Search for the document. It's in our post. Yeah, you'll be able to review it in the document. And of course, if you want to download it, just simply download it to a PDF to print it. And you can do that. That's a great it's called 2021 Tax Planning. Next week, my guest, Rusty Leonard, will be talking about post-election market. A little again, a little bit more of a segue into what we're talking about today. He's got some other thoughts for you. You don't want to miss that. Michael Powell will be here. What investing is and why it's simple, and we have a special guest from Angel Street, Memphis. You don't want to miss that. That's Saturday morning at 10 a.m. right here on KWAM 990. FM 107.9 in the AM 990. We're here every week helping you make the most of your money. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money.
0: Talk Money is produced by Greg Ratliff. Guesting Content Coordination Francis Fortner. Production Assistant Lauren Forsyth. Compliance Officer Tommy Armstrong. Mid-South History Moment, Rebecca Brazier and Drew Johnson. We'll see you next week on Talk Money. Jim Shoemaker, Scott Jordan, Tommy Armstrong, and Steve Anderson are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Security and Financial Services, Inc. Securities Dealer. Remember FNIRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information is not investment advice or a recommendation. The S&P is an unmanaged index of 500 large cap stocks. Investors cannot invest in an index. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Investments will fluctuate, and when redeemed, may be worth more or less than when originally invested. Financial professionals do not provide specific tax or legal advice, and this information should not be considered as such. You should always consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your own specific tax or legal situation.